Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's me, Sarah Strumming of The Cognitive Canine, and this is called Dog Radio, a podcast about all things dog sports and dog training. Join me as I explore my cases and considerations regarding the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. I hope you enjoy it. guys have heard the phrase quote unquote self-reinforcement right so you've heard don't allow the dog to self-reinforce or you know if the dog if your dog is sniffing they're self-reinforcing if they're running away from training they're self-reinforcing don't allow that or you know if your puppy is playing with other puppies instead of you they're self-reinforcing blah blah you guys have heard it right so I want to unpack it tear it down because I think that we aren't um, fully paying attention to all the facts here. And apologize for the background noise. Um, the reality of where I live right now is that there are fireworks because there's a Seahawks game. And for some reason, people think that it's appropriate to blow things up when their team throws the ball to a thing, a line, and hits the goal. I don't know. I don't know anything about sports, obviously. Um, so that's going to happen periodically. And it's extremely difficult for me to find a recording time when that's not happening right now um and so my apologies and my apologies to Iggy that we live here as well so let's first talk about just the kind of i think misunderstanding of reinforcement in general that comes with the phrase self-reinforce so that implies a misunderstanding of the function um of behavior which is to obtain reinforcement. Here's what that means. Behaviors are reinforced. Okay, selves, animals are not reinforced. Behaviors are. Okay, so if we say self-reinforce, what we mean is that the animal is obtaining reinforcement independent of us. So maybe they're obtaining reinforcement from their environments instead of from their handler. And I have news for you that happens all day, every day, because that's how behavior works. Um, we all do everything that we do to obtain reinforcement or to turn off um, aversives. Okay, so to avoid punishment or to obtain reinforcement. So we understand that there's kind of a, just a misunderstanding of reinforcement, I think, attached to the phrase, do not allow the dog to self-reinforce in and of itself, because the dog is um, actively seeking reinforcement in its environment constantly all the time, and so are we, and we aren't being smart to ignore that, but we, we also aren't being smart to kid ourselves into thinking we can control it all the time. So know that reinforcement drives behavior. Do make that work for you, but do not become tyrannical about it. Do not be a tyrant, okay? So if I know that um, a primary reinforcer in my dog's life is food, then it is wise of me to not leave a bowl of food on the ground all the time for them to eat. It is wise of me to utilize food to reinforce behaviors that I want to see continue. So to essentially throw food at behaviors that are occurring that I like is smart of me. 
but it's not smart of me to stress about every behavior that's being reinforced every time my dog eats. So let's say my let's say my dog is um, you know eyeballs deep in a bowl of raw meat and she's eating and another dog walks over and she curls her lip and then she keeps eating. Should I be worried that her getting to keep eating is reinforcing lip curling in general? No, I shouldn't be worried about that. And the reason I shouldn't is because she already had the food. She was curling the lip to achieve something else and she got that other thing anyway because the other dog walked away, right? So understanding what behaviors are being driven by what is important and then understanding that you cannot control your dog's entire access to reinforcement. You can't. And if you try, I think you draw a wedge between the two of you. So a lot of people do a lot of excessive crating of sports dogs. Um, they keep them in excessively barren environments. So no toys, no certainly no food, no water to play in, things like that. And they really worry when I say take them on off-leash exploration walks because they're worried about all this quote-unquote self-reinforcement that's going to be happening. Um, your life will be so much easier if you accept that you are not the almighty controller of reinforcement. You're not. And guess what else? You can still make reinforcement work for you and build behaviors for you that you want to see in competition settings and in real life settings. This is so important to know that you can have both, that you don't have to constantly control all access to reinforcement all the time. And also you can still have high level behaviors that you want. Isn't that cool? So this is something that um, I became aware of later to the game that I'd like to have because Iggy, when she was younger, was pretty much raised in the in that idea that I needed to control all access to reinforcement. It's a really popular idea in my sport of dog agility. Um, and she was really raised in that idea. And I realized probably when she was about six or seven, um, so that's pretty late, that that just wasn't real. And that I didn't need to freak out about that stuff anymore. So the good news is that Felix has been the beneficiary of me not adhering to this tyrannical um, obsession over reinforcement that I had when Iggy was a puppy. And let me tell you about something that freaked me out with him when it comes to that. When he was about four and a half months old, he showed me a very, very strong desire to chase other dogs. So really, really strong, um, intense desire to chase down his brothers and sisters in a field or maybe a dog chasing a frisbee in a field um, or a ball. He showed me a very strong tendency to do that. And I thought, oh my God, how am I going to have this dog off leash if that's what he wants to do? And every time he does that, he will be reinforced for doing that because it in and of itself is fun. And I have nothing to do with that reinforcement. And a cookie is never going to be better than a fast-moving dog or deer or whatever. And what am I going to do? Oh, my God. And then luckily I heard this little voice in the back of my head saying, Sarah, this is a test. Trust yourself. And I've had so many of these moments, you guys, where my long-held beliefs that I decided were not true anymore through 
through my wonderful clients and their wonderful dogs who taught me so many things because I don't get a puppy super often. So I don't <laughs> get just a ton of lessons of my own dogs right out right away. But um, I had learned that the way that I had raised Iggy was maybe not right. And that I could actually allow my dog to enjoy and love its environment and also trust it to love me in the game that I wanted to play. And that little voice said, trust yourself. This is a test. Fast forward, Felix no longer chases dogs. He doesn't even do the sprinting with his brother and sis brothers and sisters that kind of sparked this love for him because he has such a solid reinforcement history of sticking close to me and recalling on, on walks. Now, did I allow him to just chase all the other dogs that he wanted to chase? No, I didn't, because that would be going ahead and building a reinforcement history for a behavior that I don't like. But I didn't stress about it when he did on occasion. Okay, so I still off-leash walked him a lot. In situations where there were going to be dogs that I didn't know running around, I kept him on a long line in a harness more for his safety than anything, because a puppy should not be running up to um, somebody else with their dog off leash in a field. He actually did go join a game of fetch when we were at Sinosport several years ago and Iggy was competing. Um, he was a puppy and he did go involve himself in a game of fetch with a really nice coolie who really shrugged him off beautifully. Um, but I was mortified and I was very apologetic to this woman who was clearly irritated but also understanding I mean she she was like yeah you know it happens but let's not let it happen again right <laughs> so I said obviously that he can't do this and he did do it for two straight days before that happened which was walk off leash in that field and listen to me but he just kind of ran out of his ability to do so which I talked about in one of my recall episodes but I stopped him from being able to do it in environments where it was super likely to happen and then I just focused on building the reinforcement history for the right behavior, which is checking in with me, recalling with me, and choosing not to chase other dogs. Anytime still today I see him choose not to chase another dog, I pay him. And I pay him with food. And food is never going to be, food in and of itself is not better than running or chasing for him. But the history of cookies, the history of reinforcement, it's about that long history. It's not about isolated incidents, okay? That's what, that's what keeps him around and that's what keeps him from chasing other dogs. And that's what made him safe, makes him safe to compete with another dog running ringside, right? Because that was always in the back of my head. If he learns how fun it is to chase other dogs, will he choose to play agility with me when there's an opportunity to chase another dog right there in his face? It's a real question. It's a question I don't think people ask enough because I have seen too many dogs leave the ring to chase another dog. Um, but what I want you to do is just kind of relax because it is all behavior and it's all about reinforcement history. It's not about isolated incidents of reinforcement. An isolated incident of reinforcement can be erased by a strong history of reinforcement for something else. And that's the power that the good witch wields, right? That is the power that we all have, which is that we can lay a history of reinforcement that combats the behavior that we don't want to be seeing. 
rather than trying to constantly control the dog's access to reinforcement, constantly provide reinforcement for things that you like and that you want to see. So allow your puppy to sniff, but pay them when they're with you and their head is up and they're looking at you. And allow them to run and play with other dogs, but pay them when they acknowledge your presence. And allow them to play in the water bowl and run around with a piece of cardboard in their mouth and be ridiculous and be puppies, but reinforce really heavily when those behaviors do happen that you do want to be seeing. And think about your future goals and think about what they need and think, you know, can I build the right reinforcement history for my dog to be able to experience the four steps to behavioral wellness? So to be able to be off leash um, or at least on a long line and harness out in the world and to investigate puzzle toys and um, seek enrichment in their environment and communicate with me strongly and solidly. And, you know, am I building things that allow my dog to do that and to be that dog or am I not? And, and you know, how much reinforcement am I funneling towards behaviors that I need and how much behavior, how much uh, reinforcement is being funneled towards behaviors that they simply choose, okay? They're gonna choose to sniff and they're gonna choose to roll on dead things and they're gonna choose to chase other dogs if they're normal. I'm okay with all of that. I just want to also make sure that I'm laying a strong history of reinforcement for behaviors that work a little bit better for me than those things. So I'm not saying let your dog run all over you and be a free, you know, wild coyote in your house shredding your couch. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I am saying is don't stress so much about this quote unquote self-reinforcement myth. I'm gonna call it a myth, it's not real. Instead, stress about where can I put my money in the bank? Where can I put reinforcement towards the things that I wanna see continue? All right, so to close it out, I'm gonna do a Patreon question. So this is from Erin Hensley. She says, advice on choosing a handling system or just making heads or tails of them as a novice agility handler. I find all of that very confusing and a bit intimidating as a newbie. Erin, I feel for you, when I started out in agility, this quote unquote system thing um, was not a thing. But when I started my second agility dog, Iggy, it was very much a thing. And it it was two, two primary systems in the United States. And, um, I chose one and I learned it and I, I'm a better handler for it. I don't handle in that system anymore, but learning it and learning why there are rules um, and why maybe it's important to have a set of rules that you follow improved me as a handler immensely. So this brings me back to, um, I had an English teacher. This was probably like an honors or AP English course. So a little bit more free thought involved than just kind of regular um, English, and we were talking about just essay writing, okay? And we were talking about the basic format of an essay, which is intro paragraph, three body paragraphs, and then a conclusion, okay? So we were talking about that format, and she said, here's the thing, you guys, you have to learn the rules. You have to learn the rules, and you have to learn how to follow the rules really well. And then once you can follow the rules really well, then you can learn how to break them and you can break them really smart because you know them so well. 
And that's how I feel about handling systems too. So I would say that if you are new in agility, I would pick kind of a system or an ideology and I would learn it in, out, and sideways. I would learn the snot out of it and I would really, really familiarize yourself with it. And then I would say, once you know it well enough to break it, then break it. Um, that's my biggest piece of advice is do learn it. Find a coach that you like. It's important that the coach works well for you rather than just the system. So find a coach that you like, learn the system that they wanna teach you, learn it really well, and then decide which parts of the system you wanna buck because they maybe don't work as well for you and your dog. But you won't be able to do that well unless you understand handling really well. And you may not understand handling really well without the help of a system. Plenty of people do understand handling very well without the help of a system. I no longer utilize a system um, per se. However, if you asked me to write down kind of my rules and my structure for handling, I've got them. They're there. They're in my head. There should be rules. There should be. And all of this is just about cues, right? So it's just about saying when I want the dog to do X behavior, I'm going to do Y maneuver and I'm always going to do that so that the dog fully understands. That's all a handling system is, is saying, let's get clear about our handling cues. And that's really important to do. Know that nobody, no one system is quote unquote right and no one system is quote unquote wrong. They all exist because they all work. They wouldn't exist if they didn't work. So pick the instructor that you like learn the system well, learn the rules well, and then maybe decide if you want to learn something else or just break the rules of the system that you figured out. So that was a Patreon question and I'm going to be doing those every week. So if you want to be part of the fun, that's patreon.com slash cogdogradio. And definitely don't forget about the Facebook page too, which is Cogdog Radio on Facebook. We'll have a discussion over there as well. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe in the podcast app of your choice. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, being a part of the CogDoc Radio community, and getting access to all kinds of extras, head over to patreon.com slash cogdogradio to become a patron.